All right. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to week 15. Can you believe we're basically finished with classes after today? We will have one more meeting for our final um, next week on Wednesday. Uh, I sent everyone a message in WebCT um, asking you to please turn in all your assignments no later than um, next Tuesday in the wee hours of, of the night or the morning because I'm going to be submitting all the grades um, after we take our final on Wednesday. So you can resubmit assignments if you didn't get full credit for those. Uh, and if you need to have one of the quizzes reset, most of them will allow you to, to submit it more than one time. But um, you'll need to get all that stuff uh, turned in and submitted, and there's um, a fair number of folks who still have a few things out. So today what we're going to do is talk about um, an exemplary scratch project. We're going to take a look at um, an app called Sticker Shop, which is a free primary app for counting money. Um, talk a little bit about iPads for younger children, and our focus is going to be on digital storytelling and talking about some different tools that can be used for, t for uh, telling stories. There's not a new assignment for this week. Um, however, I will tomorrow record a sort of audio study guide for the final that will be about 15 or 20 minutes long to just help you uh, review for it. Um, remember that when you go to assignments and if you click on checklist, we've got a list here of our topics and things that we've covered. And so this recording will just be uh, kind of a hook for the final. I'm not going to read the questions verbatim, but I'll be looking at the questions and just talking about, you know, some of the things that might might be more challenging, especially some of the copyright and fair use things. Um, but we're basically going to have things about definitions and factual stuff about the different resources and tools and things that we've talked about in our class. Um, in WebCT, if you turned in your unit plan or your smart board lesson, uh, in some cases you needed to make a change and add something else. Um, I went ahead and, and returned some of those to you so you could add that and resubmit it. In other cases you've already got a grade or got a score for it. Um, you can submit that to the ePortfolio passport system whenever you're ready. If you want to wait till you get your feedback on your grade, that's probably a good idea, but I'm just grading those as they come in and some of you have already started um, to do that. So, uh, if you haven't already, please uh, check in with our attendance. When you look at your grades in WebCT, again, all grades are in as of last night. You'll also notice that there's an attendance grade that you have, and there's also one that says blog overall. We didn't do a last checkpoint quiz, so everyone just got five points. So our course has 100 points in it, and 90 of those points are in right now. So the grade that you see is um, out of 90. There's a total grade. and the only thing that remains is our final, which is going to be next week. So um, please do get any assignments resubmitted or turned in. Um, I'm happy to, to take a resubmission if you didn't get full credit and you want to submit it again, but if you don't give me anything to grade, I can't give you a grade. So make sure you get those in um, by next week. Any questions that you'd like to ask as far as assignments or uh, WebCT or procedures? Yes. Well, okay, if you turned it in and you don't have a grade for it, click on the assignment in the homepage of WebCT 
and, and in some cases I returned, it says return to student, and there's a message that I uh, gave you. So click on it there on the home page. Do you see anything there that when you, when you click on it? Is there a message? Uh, just leave it attached. Okay, I'll try again. Yeah, and, it, and that's it. I mean, as long as you attach the notebook, remember that doesn't have to be super fancy. Just make sure it has those elements that we talked about on there. You've got a hyperlink, you've got a picture, you have an interactive. And if you didn't do all those, um, I'll probably return it to you and say, hey, put an interactive in here um, so you can get full credit. Open it up. It should actually open up to the actual smart board. Uh-huh. Just double check it to make sure it was put in there right. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, it should. Yes. that computer is set up to map, if you right click it and say save target as and save it on the desktop, maybe we can open that file on the, huh, because it's doing it in a zip file. I was able to open everybody's who submitted it. So if you had it submitted before last night, I was able to view it fine on my computer. So I wouldn't worry about that. Just, yeah, go ahead and re, yeah, uh, me send me a message and I'll look at it again and do that. Any other questions? Um, on quiz two, um, I need to set that in WebCT to take your highest grade. And some of you that had a second submission, there's a couple places like this that I didn't know I had to do this. Um, and, and so I need to change the file. So if you submitted it twice and it's still showing your first lower grade, I'm going to get that changed and let me know if that happens on some other quizzes because I, I, I should have everything set to take your highest grade if you ended up submitting it more than once. Um, okay, send me a message and I just may have forgot to put yours in. Um, so that would have been my oversight because every, everybody, um, everybody should have grades for those and I'll... I'll add that to yours as well. Yes? Um, I have a question about the test completion grade. Uh -huh. um, I don't see mine on my folder. Okay. Um, are, you, are they going to be on display there? No, it should be there. So send me a message if you're not seeing it in my grades because something strange is going on. Um, because it, as of last night, and, and I, I remember looking at yours because it's on my flash drive. Um, Send me a message and I'll check it out. Something weird is going on with it. Yes, you should see your Pechacucha. In some cases, the assignment, I have to, it's like the grade is in there, but it's not showing your highest grade if it ended up being a resubmission. So just send me a message in WebCT and I'll, I'll check it out and figure out what's going on with it. Because if you had submitted it, you have a grade. Uh, it just may not be showing up in the grade book because of the assignment properties, which is set by default to take your first submission, not your highest grade. And if it's something else, we'll, we'll figure out what's going on with it. Any other questions about assignment submission, WebCT? Something we haven't turned in yet, it won't show as like 
Yeah, every everything as of 4 a.m. last this morning has been graded. If you turned it in after 4 a.m., I haven't graded it and it won't show up yet. But I'm going to be staying on top of this because we only have. Uh huh. Yeah, just send me a message in WebCP if you need one open because you need to do. Most of them I set up to do a second submission, but because I had to do this in two different sections and you know. Sometimes I didn't do that consistently. So, that should be a total out of 90 because your final's not in there, but it should be a total out of 90. So, and again, please, I, I want to give everybody full credit for every single assignment here. So, if you don't like your grade for one of these, resubmit that, and I'm happy to, you know, give you full credit for a resubmission. In some cases, uh, there were a few of you that had a link issue uh, when you were copying it off of the blog. Uh, just remember, when you're getting a link off the blog, and uh, in, in most cases we've got this fine, but you want to make sure and get the permalink, which is what you get when you, when you, click, the, when you click the direct link. Okay? That's the permalink when you click on the title. Okay. Any other questions about it? Okay, well, I'm delighted that Damien is here because one of the things that I put on our schedule was I wanted to highlight an exemplary uh, scratch project. I have enjoyed more this semester the blog and being able to learn what you think about videos we've seen, stuff we've done in class, as well as the scratch um, project stuff. Um, you know more than more than anything, and so I put a link here to Exemplary Scratch Project. Anytime we show an Exemplary Scratch Project and we compare, people start you know getting nervous and uh, comparing themselves. We all have had different skills coming to this, and we all you know spent different amounts of time doing this. I want to highlight this as a as a great example of digital storytelling. Um, Damien shared his his Twitter ID, so I actually shared this as a tweet last night. Um, and then here's the link to his project, and this is called The Adventures of Cuddle Bear and Snugglebuzz. Um, several of you had commented on his post about this and, and have seen this. And I didn't see initially, he did a good job over in the project notes saying to push the space bar to start. So I went ahead and downloaded this into um, Scratch so we could see this full screen. And here it is. In a world of devastation and... Just kidding. <laughs> Hi, my name is Peanut. The story I'm actually about to tell you is about friendship. It's about Cuddle Bear and Snugglebug. And here in the forest is where the story begins. Here lives Cuddle Bear, a friendly bear. But he's very lonely. I wish I had someone to play with and talk to. This forest is just too big for just me. Well, if I look hard enough, maybe I'll find a friend. Not too far away from Cuddlebear's search, there's a meadow where we meet Snugglebug. This meadow's just too big for me. I wish I had a friend. Wait a second. I can fly. I'll go fly to the forest, and maybe I'll find some friends there. Meanwhile, Cuddlebear is still wandering through the forest. 
This forest is so huge. I don't think I'll find anybody in here. was really was really good in that. And then who did you get to help you with uh, the voices? Uh, my girlfriend and my nephew that I made it for and came up with Yeah, that is great. That is great. So it's a, a great example of how Scratch can be used for storytelling. Some of you, uh, not not a lot, but a few people, you know, kind of had a, a choose-your-own-story and you had, you know, um, an option to, to be able to choose something. If at some point maybe when I have more time, I'd love to create a website that would be like that choose your own adventure. Did you all read those books growing up where, you know, if you want to go through the red door, turn to page ten. If you want to go to the lake, turn to page fifteen and see what happens. I think it'd be awesome to have a website where you could build stories like that together, sort of and then share them like uh, fan fiction but where it would make it easy to create a, 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 your own adventure. I mean, that'd be a fun project to do on your own, or you could have your classes do it, or whatever. So you could, depending on, like, what commands you gave, like a spacebar. Right. Some you people said, you know, which mm -hmm. you to yeah, in fact, and I think this may, may have been in this class, and I may have saved it as a favorite. Is, is Megan here? Megan did that in her in her project. So um, Megan, why did why did you opt to do the choose your choose your option versus the you know, just kinda click and, and watch it? Right. And that's and it's something that you can do in scratch that you couldn't do in a video program, right? Is to give a choice. So uh, we press the space bar to start. 
And, well, actually, wait a minute. I think I, there we go. Here's the beginning. So, should we get a new friend? Sure. Sure, I'll help you take care of Curly. Let me press the space bar. And then we choose which one we want to go to. <laughs> and I'm going to skip. He's, we're going to go for a walk first. <laughs> Give Megan a hand. Yay, Megan. Good job. A lot of you did really, really wonderful with this. So I'm so this is only the second semester that I've taught with Scratch. I'm delighted that all of us learned how to do more things with it and have the hopefully the idea that in our own classes this is something we can provide to students as an environment for being creative and sharing with us what they know and also having fun uh, and telling stories. Any, any any comments or thoughts about that or about those projects or about Scratch? Okay. Um, what I'd like to do now, and this is also based off of blog comments, is uh, do a little app share with you uh, for a free app called Sticker Shop, and then I'm going to show you portions of two videos that address the idea of differentiating learning and using handheld mobile technology with young students, with like kindergartners, first graders, uh, kids that are young. Um, one of your classmates in one of our classes had made a comment on one of the blog posts that, you know, in, in uh, his or her opinion, Technology was, was okay, but students really just needed, in, in kindergarten and first grade, you know, to learn how to write their letters, how to draw with crayons, and technology really didn't have a place. And I hope that you've gotten in this, the course of this semester the idea that I don't believe we should throw away, you know, anything as far as creativity. Crayons, colors, uh, pencils, there's all kinds of ways to express our creativity. But technology can really provide different ways for us to learn and it can differentiate learning in ways that we might not be able to as easily um, when, we're, when we're not using technology. We'll talk about that word differentiate here in a minute. This is a little free app called Sticker Shop. It was made with uh, the Department of Education at Virginia and this, um, um, I, I don't even catch the name of it, we'll see it there, the group. Um, it is an iPhone, iPad app, so it's you know designed smaller. You can make the screen bigger, but when my iPad is connecting to these projectors, it cuts off the side, so I'm going to leave it small. Think about how much time you spend in the line at the grocery store or driving somewhere, and think about kids doing the same thing. When I was in Memphis in September, I was at the Presbyterian Day School, which is a very elite, expensive private school in the Memphis area. But they're doing conferences now and professional development for teachers in the whole area. They have iPod Touches for uh, checkout, uh, for a cart for the, their teachers and students to use. But they tell their parents about applications like this. So uh, this is Sticker Shop, and um, you click on the blue book and pick a sticker that you think you'd like to have, and it tells you how much that sticker is, and then you have to get the coins that will add up to that amount. 
So I got the wrong number. So when I check out, it says, oh, you gave 60 cents. That's too much. And I'll get to choose a different sticker. The main complaint that my now seven-year-old has about this app is it doesn't keep your score. And if you're you know, logging a lot of stickers, it doesn't uh, let you save those. So you've got to start over each time. But you know, she's not playing this all the time, but she's playing it some of the time. And what do you think the skills of counting with money and having that, you know, mathematical awareness of money? There it's better because she's having that opportunity. So um, this is just one example. There are lots and lots of different apps that can let students uh, practice different skills. Can you play the um, app on your actual Mac or do you have to have an iPad or your iPhone? You, you have to have an iOS device to play those apps. Okay. Now there is... Um, just to kind of confuse things, an app store for Mac that Apple has started with their most, more recent versions of their operating system. Um, and that is now available, you know, in the dock by default. It's called an app store. But it is to run programs for your Mac, not for your iPhone or your iPad or your iPod Touch. Lots of those games are available for, you know, Android as well. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the marketplace. If I was going to bet, I don't know, Apple's pretty good, but it's free to put Android on any device. And so I think we're going to see a lot more Android devices, you know, in the years to come than we will see um, iOS devices. But I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see what happens with this. When you go to the uh, support site here for Sticker Shop, and this is the Games Lab, and this is where we found a little movie that talks about um, differentiating. What does it mean to you? And I've, I've got a, a video that I'm going to show you, and I, I put a post up in March because I was able to hear a first grade teacher from Lansing, Kansas, and her technology director talk about their use of iPads and iPod Touches in their classroom. What does the word uh, differentiate mean to you in the context of classroom learning. Have you heard that term before? Is that something that you've heard professors talk about? What does that mean if I'm if I'm going to try and differentiate? What is that? What does it mean? Okay, right? Differentiation in a general sense is telling the difference between two things, okay? What are the differences? What does that mean specifically in the context of a classroom? Like if you're doing a lesson plan, your unit plan, that's an example. At the bottom, it has some things to put in for gifted and talented, for students who have special education modifications. Differentiation means I am meeting the different needs of students by providing options for them. And so when students have an individual education plan, an IEP, they'll be mandated things that you have to do as the teacher for that student. The reality is every child needs an IEP. The idea that, you know, there's a bunch of bushy, there's a bunch of kids who, you know, are just in the middle and they deserve to just get what we're serving and you know, this is middle of the road, you get it. Every child needs to be met where they are as far as their develop, developmental level, their interests and things like that. So We'll watch this quick video and then I'll show you a portion of this other one that I've linked. You're not born smart. I tell them that too. You get smart. 
and you get smart by staying actively learning and keeping your brain engaged, iPod Touches have, um, you know, given us that ability to differentiate instruction. You, you really have no downtime anymore. Your time on task is hugely increased by just having them available all the time because you can say, all right, I want these people to work on this app and I want these people to work on this app and we have five minutes until lunch. So go to it. You know, a kid who doesn't, who can't be kind to work, it just stresses them completely out. They can be in a game that, that they have plenty of time that's unkind, they can play there. I have kids who just need to have stories read to them. You know, some kids were making up for five and six years of lost lap time. They've not sat on anybody's lap having a book read to them. And that's an incredible disadvantage for those kids. And if they can sit and listen to stories in every minute of their day and not have any downtime, then that's trying to make up for some of that lost lap time. Then I have other kids who are ready to read independently. These are not replacing teachers. We have to still be involved in the differentiating, the time on task, and making sure that we're having kids talk about what they're learning on there so that, I mean, that's important for teachers to be involved. All right, so I didn't even know that movie was available. We just found that during the first class. The movie that I did uh, load up in advance was a, a portion of a, a video from this presentation. Um, I was able, I asked them, permission to audio record this session, and then I have text notes for it, but let's watch a little bit of this video, and um, think about what is happening differently in this classroom because of the way this teacher is using technology, and I should not just say teacher, it's teachers, and these are teachers in Lansing, Kansas. So we have those students working independently while she gets to work with those kids that, that need the most help. Um, for example, Katie, as you'll see in just a second, um, she works with her lowest level kids uh, twice a day in that, uh, in that situation. This is Katie's classroom, first grade uh, class, and I want to show you her project at the end. Your first grade kids. <laughs> So here's Jane right here working with a young man this year. Um, he's one of her lower ones. Can't, can't do all the work. And then you have this young lady right here filling out a little diagram with all of her facts, um, or her ebook that they're putting together um, on the iPad. And this is Teddy uh, Blue's room. She's a second grade teacher. One thing's really cool, I'm doing an e-instruction plug real quick. If you got a kid who wants to center, you can uh, play as a center. Really kind of cool. Yeah, still has a normal reading center, so. So obviously, what's the big difference between this classroom and our typical high school classroom or typical middle school classroom? 
There's a lot of independent work going on. Everybody's not sitting in a desk in a row, listening to the teacher, you know, trying to take notes. This is why the MIT group that developed Scratch is called the lifelong kindergarten group because a lot of times we lose sight of how we learn best as we get further along in school. So probably the most interesting thing that, that they said in this presentation was they have more iPod touches than iPads. They only have three iPads in the classroom. And so one of the things they find is that the kids will tend to self-select the iPod touch and try to work by themselves rather than work collaboratively. But it's so important for the kids to learn to work collaboratively. And here in a minute, you're going to see some two boys that are, have an iPad and then they're going to shake hands. And uh, Dan, the tech director, explained if they, they cut out the little fight that was happening before that or the argument, you know, that was happening before that. But, you know, we... Some people have a vision of technology that, oh, great, you're going to get your device, go off to the corner, be quiet, plug in with your headphones, and, and they'll bother me. You know, you, you go and learn. And people even think about that with online instruction. Oh, great, kids are just going to be online. They don't need to come to school. You know, that is going to work for some kids. But the iPad and the iPod Touch and just the whole idea of touch technology, whatever brand it happens to be, you know, it can be used as a tool to help kids do the kind of things we're already doing in good classrooms. In good classrooms, we're already helping kids uh, learn to read and listen to stories and practice their writing and learn about their math and all of those kinds of things. So I think it is exciting to see, I mean, literally this the change, I mean, the, I, the iPad is now in a, it's a second generation device and it's been out a little more than a year. Um, what's this going to look like in three years? What's this going to look like in five years? Um, I really believe, <coughs> pardon me, our money is going to be better spent buying devices that kids get to, here's this, the little scene where they're going to shake hands. Our, our money is going to be better spent buying devices that let kids do a lot of things rather than just the device at the front of the room that lets us watch the teacher or watch you know one person do something. So I hope you'll open your mind to the possibilities. It's not that we have to throw away all the old things that we've done and the ways that we've learned, but you know, you can just see this when a child picks up an iPhone or an iPod touch and works with an app. You do not have to give a 20-minute lecture, usually, about how to use that particular app. And the level of engagement with a game is very different than with television or a book. We've got a group at OU that continues to do a, like a, it's kind of a second life-like virtual world for science. And these kids at the schools that participate play this game that's about science. And that's, you know, how they're learning. So uh, we are just at, at the beginning stages of this. And I really, um, you know, I'm excited to be living right now as a teacher because I don't think there's ever been a more exciting time to be a learner. Um, however, as I'll, we'll talk about today, as far as digital storytelling, I'll, I'll mention, you know, we're, it's a challenging time as well. Uh, and we need to think about how we'll address that. So what I'd like to do now is uh, shift and talk a little bit about digital storytelling. And I'm going to create a back channel for us. In the first class today, I tried to create an uh, Etherpad 
and as a little review, we did this, uh, I think, at least once this semester. Etherpad was bought by Google to become part of Google Wave. It's open source. Anybody can run it on their server. Different companies are providing free hosted instances of Etherpad. And so you can go to the website, for instance, piratepad.com. You can put your own um, unique keyword after pirate pad and it'll say hey do you want to create that pad the disadvantage is only 15 people can be simultaneously in there and we have more than 15 people here today so um, what I did instead and, and also we had trouble for some reason with ether, that etherpad working and that might have been Internet Explorer I've tried to convince the college here at UCO we're not all worshiping Microsoft today. There are other browsers available, um, like Chrome, like Firefox, like Safari, and it may have been a, an issue with Internet Explorer. We went to today's meet, and this is what we'll use uh, now. In fact, I think we'll just use the same back channel that we did before. Today's meet, like Etherpad, doesn't require you to log in and have an account. You get to decide when you want the room deleted. You put the name of the room that you want. It needs to be a unique ID that no one else has taken. If you want Twitter, um, hashtags to come in, then you put the hashtag people are using when I go to the International Society for Technology and Education, ISTE conference this summer, they'll use the ISTE 11 conf uh, tag and those tweets would automatically come in if I put that in, but that'd be a little confusing for us today. So, I've created this um, Etherpad, or not Etherpad, this Today's Meet, and you can get to this by going to our website for our class, and even though the link says back channel 9 a.m. Let's just use that. Let's, let's, let's do that instead of uh, creating a new one. And you can put your name in, click join, and then you can type a message. And when you click say, it's going to go up so that everybody else gets to see it. And there's a little bit of a delay. Um, of course, back channels allow freedom. And I was when I was in Alabama a couple weeks ago talking to ninth grade teachers and I talked about this, you should have seen the look of sheer terror on their faces when they thought about what? My kids are going to be able to type and I, I'm not going to know for sure who did what. I will never do that. These are uh, the same teachers that all have a flip camera. They all have a, a digital camera and they have not yet, this is what we're working on, let the kids use the technology at all to create something. They haven't let kids touch the technology. I've said this before, it's a lot easier to run a prison than it is to run a wonderful classroom for learning. And so, you know, as technology gets more ubiquitous and, and kids continue to come with devices, I mean, pretty soon, you know, in five or ten years, kids are going to walk into your class and the thing they have in their pocket is going to be more powerful than the $2,500 laptop that's sitting right here on this desk. And they're going to have bought it for, you know, a hundred bucks or it's going to come with the contract. So are we going to keep saying, don't bring that device? We don't want to use it. In some cases, we will. So let me ask a couple questions. Um, my first question for you is, what software for digital storytelling do you know about now? And I probably ought to define digital storytelling. If I just go to Wikipedia for digital storytelling, they define it as the use of digital tools to let ordinary people tell their own real-life stories. So go ahead and just put into the back channel any software programs that you know for digital storytelling. There you go. Scratch. 
Um, this can be any program that you've seen somebody use to create a video, but it doesn't have to just be a video. It could also be a slideshow of images, or it could be images that have a, a song with them. Are there any other programs that you've you've used or you've seen? So PowerPoint kind of. Has anybody recorded their voice with PowerPoint before? I think there's a way to do that. I don't think it's super easy to do, but you can. Um, fan fiction is definitely writing um, stories. But how about when we talk about digital stories, usually uh, we're, we're going to talk about media. So um, Louine just verbally do it too. Have, have, has anybody here created a, a movie? Screener, yep, we've done a screencast. Who's created a movie of some kind? What have you used to make your movie? Okay, so so Final Cut Pro is a is a high end. Um, Pam put in iMovie. Um, those are both Apple products. What about the Windows side? If you're a Windows user, what what's a free program to make a movie? Right. So Windows Movie Maker, and then did I mention? Um, Sony Vegas before. I just I just learned about this from Michael Wesh when he was here speaking at the eLearn conference. But you know he said this is a fifty dollar app for Windows and it's incredible the the video effects and things like that that you can do um, on a Windows computer with Vegas. So all of these programs are software programs that you download and and, and uh, Michael screener. Yep, we created videos with it. And so we've got different kinds of tools that are software. The other option, besides using a software program that I have on my computer, oh, and I guess I had, let's talk, um, I mean, we forgot uh, Picasa. Anybody used Picasa before? iPhoto is the free photo program that comes on Macs. Google has made Picasa. And anybody use Picasa? Anybody, anybody? Um, it allows you to do cropping and color correction and red-eye removal and, and organizing your photos and, and publishing them. But it also has a feature of making a simple movie. And last summer, I helped with the Creativity Institute. It was a three-day workshop that we did in Oklahoma City. And one of the things I taught teachers was how to use Picasa to make a simple movie um, that you put together. All of those are software programs that you download to your computer. There are, however, a lot of websites that let you tell stories and, and create digital stories. And so I'm going to uh, put this into the back channel. This is a project called 50 Ways to Tell a Story. And this was created by Alan Levine, who is an educator in Arizona. And what he did was he took the same story and he used 50 different websites to tell the same story, to demonstrate the possibilities. And he did this a couple years ago. And so there are lots and lots of possibilities. My favorite web-based digital storytelling tool is called VoiceThread. And has anybody used VoiceThread before or heard about VoiceThread? Anybody still need to buy a gift for Mother's Day? 
Anybody still need to shop for Mother's Day? Okay, well, here's an idea for you. Because you can have a free VoiceThread account. A couple years ago, this was what my kids and I gave my mom for Mother's Day. And we this by default, voice threads are shared privately. And so I actually need to go to my voice and put in mothers. I'll just put in mother. And so this is what we sent my mom in 2008 for Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, Nana. And I, this is just something so you remember what's happened in our lives and the great times we've had together. My memories of Thanksgiving always are at your house, gathered around your big dining room table with Trudy and Max and everyone having a big dinner. Happy Mother's Day, Nana. I love spending time with you, having picnics, and I hope we can spend more time together, especially when I come up there this summer in Kansas. Um, this is me um, playing in my swimming pool with my numbers, and I like swimming a lot, and I can't wait to swim this summer. So, I won't subject you to the rest of that, but you get the idea. You take a picture, and then you record your voice, and you can have different people record their voices to talk about that picture and to reflect on that picture. So, I really think we need to use tools like this personally and get comfortable with them before we start to use them with kids. Because it's silly to think teachers are going to jump in in front, especially if you teach middle school or high school in front of a bunch of adolescents. So I'm not going to jump in front of them and, hey, I just learned about this yesterday. Let me try to do it. I'm going to need to be comfortable using it before I use it with students. So that's a personal example. Let me show you a school example. My middle daughter, um, Sarah, did a book report a couple years ago on Helen Keller. And so this was her practice before she went to class and did it in class. One of my favorite books was Who Was Helen Keller by Gary Thompson. Helen Keller um, grew, grew up to be deaf and blind. And this book is about, uh, um, she wrote books and stories about being deaf and blind. Now I'm gonna pause it here and go to the end and this was just a five-slide digital story. And what I want you to think about as I play these, I'm going to just do the, the ones on the left side. How is this book report shared as a digital story online, interactive in this way, different from the traditional, I wrote it on paper, I turned it into the teacher, I got my grade. How is it different from that? Before I play the comments, I'll mention that this second person happens to be Sarah's grandfather, who lives in Kansas. As you watch this, think about how often parents get to come to school and hear their child or hear a grandchild share a report that they're giving for their classmates. You should read this book because it really impressed me with how smart she was and how brave she was 
and it just really, really impressed me. Sarah, thanks for sharing this story about Hill and Keller. It sure makes us appreciate that uh, we can we have sight and we have uh, can hear good as well too, doesn't it? Wow, that sounds like an awesome book. I um, think that was a great voice thread that you just did. And um, I'm a 10-year-old girl from the United States, and I'll try to get my hands on that book. So there's a little Internet safety moment. She's used an avatar. She's not using her name, not identifying her address. This is a comment somebody left with text. Because if you don't have a microphone or you don't want to record, you can use your microphone, your uh, keyboard to type, or you can even use a video. Sarah, I loved your book report, and I have loved reading about Helen Keller since I was young. I have another book to recommend to you. If you enjoyed that, you might want to read a new book that just came out called Miss Spitfire, and it's actually the story of Annie Sullivan, her teacher. It's written by Sarah Miller. I hope you enjoy it. Okay. Before I give you a chance to talk, let me say that at the end of the voice thread, you'll have the opportunity to copy and share a link. So I can take that link right now, put that into our back channel here, and you can link directly to it because I've shared it publicly. However, you don't have to share it publicly. We also have our friend the embed code. We've seen this a few times this semester. So I can copy that embed code and make that voice thread show up right on my web page or my blog post or wherever I want. So turn to your neighbor. I'm going to give you about 60 seconds. Talk about this book report. Contrast that to a traditional style book report. and it's going to be in pencil, and it's going to be, you know. But hey, what about students who 
are more verbal? What about students who are dyslexic? What about students who maybe English is a second language and you know they're struggling with their, their language skills, they can speak better than they can write. Um, there's a whole lot of reasons why giving a choice to talk about it can be an em empowering thing. What else? We were talking about how people got to comment on it, and then, like, if you were to give that presentation in front of the class, you might be nervous because you're speaking in front of people, and people would have to take notes as you're talking, so they wouldn't be able to, like, pay as much attention to you. But this is online. They can go back and watch it over and over and over again until they get all the information. Absolutely. And you know what? Sarah recorded each one of these several times to get it right, <laughs> just like we learned with our screener. Uh, did, did anybody do the screener the first time and that was good, you know? Okay, we have a couple. Very good. You're the exception. You're the outlier. Uh huh. Maybe try a different browser. Yeah, I did Firefox. And did it work in another browser? And you're running the latest. Your your Mac's all updated with the latest stuff. That's weird. Huh. Because I've, I've tried Chrome, Firefox, and Safari, and usually use Safari. Um, maybe empty your cache. You can go in to empty your cache and reset your settings. Because I remember seeing that comment. It was, that was strange. Um, something I didn't mention is you get to moderate these comments. Notice that when I click here, it has a trash can. I can throw it away. And I could show the comments. They're hidden by default. The last thing you want as a classroom teacher, well, there's probably a lot of last things that you want. One of the last things that you want is, you know, an angry parent mad because her child or his child, you know, shared something online and then there was a bunch of profanity or they got bullied or something bad happened, right? That's why with our class blogs, I've moderated the comments to model moderation you get to approve as the teacher what shows up here. Any other comments about this book report as it would contrast to a traditional one? What about this last comment where she's given her a book recommendation? You know, few things are as important in learning as turning kids on to reading. If we can help kids get excited about reading, find more books that connect to their interests, you know, how do you change the world? One conversation at a time. Don't wait till you don't have to wait till you're elected president of the United States to change the world. You you change it every day with the conversations you have. And as teachers, we have a chance to. So you know, by sharing a book, you know, Sarah may go and read that book, and who knows where that's going to lead. But the whole idea of a bigger audience. Only a limited number of students in your class are going to be motivated to please you and get that good grade. And you'll have some of those students, but they won't even be half of your students. I can guarantee it. So if you can increase the motivation of students, and this isn't a silver bullet, it's not magical, but do you think it made a difference to Sarah that her grandfather was able to listen to this and give her feedback? Think about families today and how many of us are geographically separated. We don't have opportunities to hear, you know, kids, grandkids share stuff. There's a real power to the voice, and there's an accessibility to this. You've got young learners. You're teaching first grade. Those kids aren't writing five-paragraph essays yet. 
But can they talk about what they have learned? Can they discuss their perceptions? Of course they can. So one more little example. If you just go to the VoiceThread site and you put in the word haircut, my youngest, when she was three, um, we took pictures of her first haircut, and one of my friends said, you really should make a voice read of that. So this has been seen over 64,000 times worldwide and has over 1,500 comments. And I won't play the whole thing, but we'll just play a little bit so you can kind of get a flavor for this. And then also see, you know, what this looks like when a lot of people comment. And this is about me getting my new haircut. Um, what happened? I wanted my hair short, um, so I wanted a short haircut, so they cut it. Um, well, I was getting my hair washed, had a smile on me, so the, the haircut um, wash my hair. It feels so nice, so feel warm, so we did it last night and I got suckered. That also points out how our short-term memory is really good, right? She can remember things that just happened, but ask her in a week, ask her in a month, she's not going to remember it with that amount of detail. So there's a lot of value in recording our perceptions and memories and learning, you know, right after it happens. I'm going to skip to the end. You can see the little yellow things means there's new comments unapproved on uh, each one of these. And we'll listen to just a couple. I particularly want you to pay attention to the accent of this one when we get down there. Um, and I'm all done, and it looks so beautiful, and I like it. Somebody that's left a text comment. Okay. That's a nice story. I really enjoyed it. Rachel, thank you for sharing this great haircut story with me. This was so wonderful to come home and find in my mailbox after such a long day. And you're very lucky that your daddy does take so many photographs and that you're learning how to use these tools. You are on the cutting edge, kiddo. Get it? Cutting edge? Okay, take care. Hello, Rachel. I'm a teacher in New Zealand, and I can't wait to show my students your fabulous story about your haircut. Thank you so much for sharing it, and by the way, you look absolutely gorgeous. So, you know, she could have written gorgeous, but that's not what she said. She said gorgeous in her <laughs> New Zealand Kiwi accent. And there's a magic to that. There's power to that. And think about how exciting it is to be able to create something and share something and get feedback, particularly feedback which edifies you, which supports you, which builds you up. And, you know, having a haircut is something which kind of crosses all boundaries. I have bald friends that, you know, point out, it's not everybody, but some of us feel, you know, a little left out when we talk about haircut stories. But... For most of us, we can connect with this. And so this VoiceThread um, shows a lot of things. VoiceThread is free to use to create a certain number of stories. It has a three-part process. After you create your account, you upload photos from your computer. 
You can then put your own comments on those photos. You can create different accounts. So my kids have different accounts. We've done some things with scouts before and other groups. Um, and so you can create those and change who is leaving the comment. And then when you choose to share it, you can put email addresses in. So you can privately, if you've got 20 or 25 parents um, and you want to send that privately, you can put their email addresses in. Um, when you click get a link, you make these choices. By default, this isn't checked. You'll have to choose if you want anyone to view it. When you do share it, I highly recommend having this check. Moderate the comments. And that means that you get to approve them before others see them. VoiceThread has um, pricing where you can get this for your classroom, where your students can have their own accounts. And I just, I think this is one of the best examples of a digital storytelling tool, but also a collaboration tool. And I, we could spend, not just all day, we could spend all week talking about VoiceThread, looking at projects that teachers have done, ways they're using it in the library, ways they're using it in college to talk about philosophers. I mean, you know, whatever grade level you're doing, there are all kinds of ideas and ways that you can use a tool like VoiceThread. And remember from the link that I shared with uh, Alan Levine, this CogDog blog, that's, he kind of likes dogs, so that's his theme. Um, That link didn't come through. Huh, that's interesting. There's all kinds of ways to tell these stories. And there are just going to be more and more websites and, and tools that are going to be created to, to um, tell these, to use, to make these kind of stories. So what I'd like to do now is show you some examples of some Oklahoma stories and talk to you a little bit about Celebrate Oklahoma Voices in this project. Um, I you know, I've been an independent consultant for two years. That sounds really sexy and exciting, maybe, maybe not. Uh, not having medical insurance or, you know, reliable income is a challenge, but it's also awesome to get to work on something I'm so passionate about, which is stories and storytelling. So, um, I think I still have this running. I'll show off a little bit. Um, one of the things you can do on the Mac now, which is nice, is you can actually run windows in an emulated environment and so last week on Monday and Tuesday I was in Texas uh, leading a Celebrate Texas Voices, the first workshop we had, and then Thursday and Friday after class last week I drove up to Kansas and led a workshop there. What do we teach teachers to do? I've got this little $50 recorder right here in my hand that will record audio. That's how I've recorded our, our lectures all semester long. You can use this to interview somebody. And once you have that interview, you can use Audacity, a free audio editing program, to import that audio into your Audacity project. Has anybody here worked with Audacity or used Audacity before? Um, it is generally something a lot of teachers haven't done, to edit audio and to you know, get the audio sequenced the way that they want it. You can uh, use this envelope tool to move, well, to uh, make things fade in and fade out. That's called an envelope. Uh, you can put music in as a background, all that stuff. After we're done, we will export our audio as a WAV file, and then we will take pictures and put it together with the audio. So the way we teach teachers to use photo story 
which is a free program from Microsoft, or you can do this with iMovie on the Mac, is get a folder with all your pictures and put them in that folder. Then you have a folder for your audio, and we put usually the word final on it. Then you go into your program that puts the pieces together. So this is Photo Story 3 for Windows. It runs on Windows XP, Windows Vista, and as I'm doing here, Windows 7. This is Windows 7 Home that I'm running. And you go through the wizard. You will import your pictures. Now, who can tell me how to select more than one picture at a time? Shift will work. Control A will work. I can also click and drag and sort of draw a box that cuts through those. I like Control A. All those pictures import, and I can order them in the way that I want. So we learn about, you know, finding Creative Commons pictures and also writing down the addresses of where they, where they came from. And once you get them in the order you want, Photo Story will remove black borders if you want. I'm not going to choose to do that. I'll fix that later. You can put text in, but generally we avoid that in the presentation Zen idea of let the picture speak. Um, sometimes it might be helpful to have text, but usually it's not. Photo Story is set up to let you record 30 seconds of audio on each picture, but we want to have more flexibility than that. So what we do is go to the end of the program where you get to import background music, and we import audio as the background. And in Photo Story, you end up adding 30 seconds of silence so we don't cut off the ending part, because Photo Story will, will fade it out if you don't add silence. And then the last thing we do is we customize the motion. This means decide. How long do I want that to show? Maybe I want that to show for just two seconds. And then do I want to specify the start and end? Maybe I want to start this story about storms by zooming in to the, or having the image really zoomed in on the funnel and then get larger to show the entire picture. Okay? I click the preview button and it'll play from that spot. Lightning is an atmospheric discharge of electricity Whoa. accompanied by thunder. That was too fast, so I need to make a change. So I'll you know, change that up. Let's make that four seconds. How will that look and sound? Lightning is an atmospheric discharge of electricity accompanied by thunder, which typically... Okay, so if I like that, I go on to the next one and make all the changes to my, to my photos. When I'm done, I come here to the end and I say export, and that gives me a movie file that I can share online if I want to. I don't have to share that online, but that's the process that we teach in our um, two-and-a-half-day workshops. So I was able this week uh, to have two days in Altus. Oops, I better go to my first slide. Altus, Oklahoma. I was leading workshops for faculty there at Western Oklahoma State College. Oops. And... What I'd like to do is just go ahead and share with you a few of those stories and give you an opportunity to talk and reflect a little bit about the value of these stories and, and how we might bring these kinds of projects into our classroom, but also into our community, preserving the stories of our town where we grew up, the family um, that we have that you know, are still available to be interviewed, and also maybe stories that we bring to life because we were told those stories or somebody else told them to us. I'm going to start with this story of Lily and John. This was created right here at UCO in 2008 by Karen Joe, who, who right now teaches in Yukon Public Schools. This is a family legend. This is a story that was passed down to her um, and 
This is the first time she'd ever made a movie. She never had, had put video or put images together with audio. Uh, she wrote a script, recorded it, and it's very short. And it only has about seven pictures in it. As you watch this, I want you to think about why is this a compelling story. And I'm going to give you a minute or two to talk with your neighbor about this story. There was an undercurrent of tension at the wedding of James Otten and Leona Stripling on that August day in Garwin County, Indian Territory. Earlier, John's 13-year-old sister and Leona's 15-year-old brother announced they were in love and planned to marry. To prevent the marriage of Lily Lee and John, the Otten family moved from Garvin County and settled in the community of Hart, Pontotoc County, Indian Territory. The Ottens were a proud family. There would be no hint of scandal or disgrace. Seven years later, when Lily Lee Otten was at the ripe old age of 20, she married another man, John Cohee Kitchens. Together they had seven children and moved to California during the Great Depression. There, in 1954, John Cohee Kitchens died. On a visit with her oldest son, who had returned to Oklahoma, Lily Lee once again found her first love, John Stribling. He lived on the same farm that he had in 1900. He too had married and raised a family. His spouse had also died. They began to correspond and renew an old love. At the ripe age of 72, my grandma, Lily Lee Otten Kitchens, married John Stribling, now 75. They were married for over 20 years when she died of a stroke. When she died, she said hello five times, once for each child who had passed away before her and her first husband. But she never again said goodbye to John Stripling. Right. Take a minute and talk to your neighbor. Why was that a good story? <laughs> Don't let anybody out. Leave anybody out. There's somebody around you who's not talking. Pull them into your group. What do you think? What did you say or what did your neighbor say? Why was this a good story? It's sweet. What kind of a story is this? It's a love story, right? And generally, we like love stories. And it's an unexpected love story. 
You know, she could have started it by saying, I'm going to tell you a story about my grandma who was married to this man for 20 years. That came later. She unwrapped this with good writing. And I was surprised when I first heard this that they lived for 20 years after. Because you think, oh, they're married at 74, and that's sweet. But oh, sad that it was 74. Oh, wow, they had two decades of life together. <laughs> Same man that she was in love with at what age? What was the controversy? Oh, so there's something we could have some discussion about. Move the whole family. How far apart do you think those two communities are? Anybody know their Oklahoma geography? Ten miles. Fifteen miles. It's not that far. But back then, back then, yeah. When we can go 75, 70 miles an hour down the road. Didn't have a lot of pictures. Um, What about the music? Did that help or hurt? Some people who know the tune, do you, you know the tune, the Red River Valley? Some people think, oh, okay, I connect with that. It helps set, set the frame. Depends, right? You know, a lot of times when we put music in, it'll be too loud or it'll distract. It may not complement this. I think did a nice job of trying to set it that it was old-timey. I mean, it's not new. What about the pacing of her story? Did she talk slow or what? <laughs> it was very slow. So there's a lot of things we can analyze about this particular uh, story, along with others. The next one I want to show you is from Blair, Oklahoma. Anybody been to the Backdoor Steakhouse in Blair? Oh, you're missing the best steak in Oklahoma. If you can find a better ribeye than the one they serve in Blair, please let me know. And I'm not kidding because I, I, I look for these kind of things. It is, right by Quartz Mountain. It's about 30 minutes north of Altus. I didn't get to go there this time. Uh, I hope I'm going to go back this summer, and I will go to the Backdoor Steakhouse. This is an interview that was done by um, Lissa McMillan uh, later that same year in 2008 of her grandmother who survived the 1928 tornado in Blair. So different than Lily and John, which was a narrated story of retelling, this is one where... We've got a narrator talking, and then we have an interview with someone who had a remarkable experience talking about that. This is my grandmother's account of the 1928 tornado in Blair, Oklahoma. Well, the year of 1928, and the day that the tornado hit, it was, the sky was red, had a red color all day. And began to get serious and my mother said don't you think we should go to the cellar which was called then a Freddy cat hole and I said not now and I was ironing a few pieces it wasn't long though till I said yes let's go I'm 13 13 years old when we entered the cellar, uh, was, uh, it began to, the wind was blowing real hard. And we pulled a cot to the back of the cellar and we could feel the suction. And it almost took our door off. It did get our garage. And it raised the corner of our house, the north west 
owner a tiny bit. <clears throat> At this time, you know, well, we came out of the cellar. Everything was all right as far as we weren't hurt. But it wasn't long until my daddy came home to see if we were all right. The tornado had took Blair. It killed two people. One was Doris Bond's daddy, and the other was Thelma and Marie Rogers at that time, who was in the tw uh, school mates with me. It took their mother, and her. she had a hat shop, and it's where the uh, police station or the city clerk's deal, it was in that location. Well, my daddy came home to see if we was all right, and he was, had a lot of blood on him. And, uh, but he was all right. He helped take the, remove the bodies. And he was barber. My daddy was a barber at that time. And his barber shop was right next door to the Oriental store. It took the top part of the, what's known as back door now, but it was a sand building. And that was the worst cyclone we had. So I don't know what's happened to Granny Mac since then. It would be a good thing to find out. But thanks to her willingness to be interviewed and to share it, and Lissa sharing it, her family has got her voice telling that story, which is different than just having it written down. And we have that if we're interested in a storm story or a story about Blair. There are a lot of details in that story. You know, did you catch in the news how many people were killed last week when there was that devastating night of storms in the Carolinas? Well, there was one night, I think 45 is what I heard. That was the most people killed in like 30 years that we've had in a storm. And so, you know, when she was saying the storm took Blair and it killed, I was ready for her to say a lot of people. What'd she say after that? It was so-and-so's daddy. Yeah. And it was this friend who had a hat shop, and here is where she's buried. I mean, we hear on the news all the time about the war. You know, we're in the longest war we've ever been in as a nation. We've been at war nine years. And we hear about soldiers and servicemen being killed. But when we put a name and we put a story with it, that feels differently than just saying, oh, five people were killed by a, you know, car side bomb in Afghanistan yesterday or, or in, in Iraq. One of the dreams I have, and I hope we can realize this in the next year or so, is on my phone when I am somewhere in Oklahoma, I want to click a button and say, where are the stories around here? I'm here in Blair. Any stories? These walls could talk. What stories are they going to tell? And as we get more and more teachers, students, and others sharing these stories, we're going to be able to do that. If you were to think of phrases that summarize the value of this project and these kinds of projects, you might think of words like this. Incidentally, I made this with Wordle, which I don't think I taught you Wordle. If you've seen Wordle before, you put words in there and it will make words larger that appear more times. In this case, they're just appearing one time, so they're all the same size, but it's called a word cloud. You know, words like reading and writing, speaking, communicating, things that are in our standards. 
But how about other things like recognizing, honoring, respecting, listening? Now, don't get me wrong. I love air conditioning, and I think the TV can be okay, too, a lot of times. But we don't sit on the porch and listen to our grandma and granddad tell stories like we used to for different reasons. Part of it is because of indoor air conditioning, but we also just don't live together and close to each other like we used to. And there are a lot of important things that kids need to learn that aren't measured on that bubble sheet. And it's hard for students to do a project like this or for us to do a project like this and not be changed and not remember it. So I want to share with you a story now about this phrase, digital witness, because this is the theme of Story Chasers, is empowering digital witnesses to share uh, on the global stage of the Internet. Talk a little bit about Oklahoma Voices and then ideas about creativity. Uh, this is a photo taken a few years ago during a Saturday morning at our house. Do you remember watching Saturday morning cartoons? Yeah. When did it, Saturday morning cartoons stop being a big deal? Can you... Think about never. It still is, baby. Speed buggy. And and the Cartoon Network, right? When can you see cartoons now if you have cable? Whenever you want. Just turn it on. So, you know, a Saturday morning doesn't have to mean cartoons. How about screens? Do you count screens? This was Thanksgiving last year. No, this is 2008. And, you know, my wife's on a laptop, sent an email to my dad who's over here. My mom's on her iPhone. My cousin's showing my middle daughter something about a phone. Rachel's dancing. We're watching the football game, supposedly. This is last year, and I asked everyone except my sister who had just had a new baby to hold a device. You know, I said, you just worry about the baby. But what's going on with all these screens? How many devices do you have in your house now that connect to the Internet? I had somebody in a session in Alabama. They said they had 20. 20 different devices when you count game systems and handheld systems and smartphones and laptops, all of these different televisions, all of these different things. Well, if there's one thing we can say about these technologies, they are going to get smaller and they're going to get more powerful. And while these screens can distance and distract us and interrupt us, by the way, you happen to go on a date. I'm going to, I'm going to go on a date Thursday night with my wife. I'm so excited. I'm going to get to see my wife. I've become very aware of this, that if I get my screen out when I'm having a chance to talk with her, that's not a good thing. It's a gift to give someone your full attention. And we need to become savvy to that. I had a, a friend in my men's group, he's passed away now, but he said when he would go to lunch with somebody like uh, for business, if they would need to take a call or they would have a text message when they were having lunch and they couldn't do 30 minutes of time for him, that might be the last lunch they went to. Okay? because it really meant a lot to him to have their attention. We are all important people, and we all like to be connected. However, it can be important to put those devices away. And I think one of the ways we can learn and also help older people who are saying, these kids these days, they're just getting lazier and lazier, and all they're doing is writing with their text messaging, and it's just all going to pop. <laughs> one of the ways we can help them understand the powerful benefit of this technology are stories um, like this. These are my girls on a trip. If you ever see that on your phone, that means you're in really slow you know, connectivity area. We were hauling around laptops in cars just a few years ago, and that was real safe, wasn't it? Driving down the highway with laptop. This happens if you slam the brakes on. you know. Now the screens are smaller and smaller. 
But these screens can mean new opportunities for learning and new opportunities to create and share culture. And so this is where the digital witness story comes in. Who's been to Hawaii? Anybody had a chance to go? Did you go to the USS Arizona Memorial? Oh, poor you. I'm sorry. How long did you get to stay there? That is awesome. Did you have a chance to, to go to Hawaii? Were you in Honolulu or where did you go when you were there? Did, did you get to go to see the Arizona? So I've been there three times now. Uh, this was the most recent time when our family had a reunion. Uh, my family, my great-grandfather um, had a tree farm in South Dakota, ten brothers and sisters. Three of those sisters went and became teachers in Hawaii, and one of them is still there. And so we had a family reunion there, and this is actually on the Arizona Memorial. This is my dad, my wife, and my oldest and my youngest. Right now, if you go to Pearl Harbor and you, flo you float out in the boat to the, the memorial for, for the Arizona, this is what you see. This is Battleship Row right here. However, this is the USS Missouri. This is Fort Island. And the place right between the Missouri and Fort Island is where the USS Oklahoma was docked up until December 7, 1941. Does anybody know why the Missouri was historically significant in World War II? It was actually built during World War II. It was the ship on which the surrender documents were signed in Tokyo Harbor in 1945. And so in 2007, I had a chance for the first time to go to Hawaii, and we were part of a group doing some activities surrounding the dedication of the USS Oklahoma. There was a group of junior ROTC students from Claremore, Oklahoma, who not only got to fly out space available on, a, on an aircraft out of Tinker and spend a few days there, they got to spend the night on the USS Missouri and then the next morning hear a docent give them a whole tour of the ship, including a description of what it was like when the surrender documents were signed. And the docent just happened to be born in a little town called Hiroshima that you may have heard about before. That was very interesting to have someone who was born in the city where the first bomb was dropped tell the story. And one of the little facts that sticks in my mind there that I had never heard or read about in the history book was, and this is a picture I took of Douglas MacArthur uh, signing the documents in 1945 in, in Tokyo Harbor. It's a poor picture. I, it's a picture of a picture. But the story was that after the documents were signed, our aircraft flew over the Missouri fully loaded with bombs and weapons, with all the bomb bay doors open, as a reminder to everyone of the military capability and the will which existed to continue to fight that war if we needed to. So I shared this story in Altus this week, and two things were shared. Number one, Kent Brooks, who lives in Blair and is the director of technology there, he has a shoebox of pictures that his either dad or father-in-law took because he was there when this happened, but he was in a ship right next to it. And he took pictures and he's never shared those pictures before. They've been in a shoebox in the attic. The second story was one of the, the uh, technicians that works at the college was talking to one of his relatives who was, uh, I don't know, again, remember if it was father-in-law, grandfather, but he was one of the pilots of those planes that flew over. So he had heard that story before. So 
Here's present day Pearl Harbor. If we were to turn the clock back, however, to 1941, this is what we would have seen after the torpedoes had started to land. And this is the USS Oklahoma rolled over on her side with hundreds of sailors trapped inside. Hundreds would die before they were able to... um, they weren't able to get everybody out. There were many who died there, many who died in the Arizona as well. And so the main reason I was there was to facilitate a video conference between survivors of the attack on the USS Oklahoma and students in Oklahoma. This picture was taken from the garage of the fire station in Fort Island. This is Dick Pryor with Oklahoma Public Television, Paul Goodyear, who was a young signal corpsman, topside on the Oklahoma the morning the attack happened, which was a Sunday. This was George Brown, who was a cook, and he was underneath the deck, trapped underneath the Oklahoma. This is the Missouri that's behind them. Why on earth would we be inside a fire station doing a video conference with 11 classrooms back here in Oklahoma? Can anybody think of the reason? What do you have to have to do a video conference? High-speed internet? The only people with high-speed internet on Fort Island in 2007 were the firemen. So I went to CompUSA, got a 100-foot Ethernet cable, strung it from their bedroom up to the fire station garage. They pulled their trucks out. There was no 3G wireless in Honolulu in 2007. AT&T was just starting to install it. And this is where the, the digital witness idea comes. We had an hour of these guys telling their stories and then an hour of question and answer We had 11 schools around Oklahoma, and those kids got to ask questions to these guys. But at the beginning of his talk, Paul Goodyear said, I was blown off the deck by the impact of the torpedo. And he turns around and points behind him and said, it was about there that I crawled out of the water. And he describes what he saw. And I had this thought, I'm a witness. I'm a witness to Paul telling his story. He's a witness telling his story. But, Today, because of technology, I can be a digital witness. And that's where that idea of a digital witness came. And one of my encouragements to you is to think about how you can be a digital witness for your family, for your community, for your school, in a lot of different respects. If you're not connected to a military member today, married to one, have one in your family, one that's a neighbor, you know, you may lose sight of the fact that we've been at war for nine years and the costs that are being paid by families every day. There are, sol- there are soldiers now who have been deployed four times, sometimes for a year at a time, and that exacts a high toll, not only on them, but on their family as well. So we have over 860 videos that have been shared on our website. Um, I've shared with two, you two of them today. I'm going to show one more. And these are great videos to utilize for learning. We're going to develop a mobile website. I hope we'll be able to have questions connected. If you're going to teach about the Dust Bowl, the next video I'm going to show you would be a great one to show your students. But even better than showing your students would be having your students make a video like this. And this is the kind of thing that we teach teachers how to do because we have an opportunity now to create and share. My friend Kevin Honeycutt and I were driving back from San Antonio a few years ago talking about video, talking about our communities, and we were talking about storms because as we have today, we got storms around and weather alarms going off. We thought about how storm chasers don't stop at the border. They go where the storm is. 
and Story Chasers can do the same thing. So we've trained over a thousand teachers in the last four years. I won't, I'm going to skip over several videos that are in here. Um, there's good research behind what we're doing because we need, for a variety of reasons, but one is to cultivate creativity and imagination to give students chances to create with media. Um, this is the last example that I'm going to show. Anybody here from the Panhandle? Grow up anywhere in the Panhandle? What part? What? In Guymon. Well, very good. Do you know Jeanette Hale? Does that name ring a bell? Her family might. She grew up there, I think, and she's going to tell the story with her grandmother. The day we, she made this, in December 2008, her grandmother turned 90 and was in Guymon. Here's the challenge, okay? Jeanette is in Oklahoma City going to make a video and her grandmother's in Guymon. How's she going to get her grandmother's voice? Can't knock on her door with a recorder. She used a website that let her phone cast. Use her phone and tell about growing up in the 30s during the Dust Bowl. A relative went over and, and helped prep her and said, here, Grandma, here's the phone. I dialed it for you, and she recorded. So this story has Jeanette reading some of a script that she wrote but also having her grandmother talk about her story. And this is a mix. Some of these are pictures that she had. Others are pictures that she found on the Internet. Otis Franklin Gross traveled to the Oklahoma Panhandle in the early 1900s with his family. His father purchased 320 acres of land east of Garland, Oklahoma, 160 acres for each of his sons. Ellis met and married Edith Melvina Baker, who had traveled to the Panhandle by train and covered wagons from Kansas as a young girl. Together they built a house on the acreage and raised four daughters, trying to make a living farming on the land. Farming is a hard living, but it was even more so in the Oklahoma Panhandle during the 1920s and 30s. The workday started early and wasn't over until the sun went down. The black plains had brown, fertile soil, but lacked the grasses and trees found in areas where more rain fell. Horses were used to help plow and plant the wheat, and all of the plow farmland, combined with the high winds, contributed to the Oklahoma Panhandle being one of the major players in what we now know as the Dust Bowl. Sunday, April 14, 1935, started as a clear day in Guymon, but by late afternoon, the skies darkened, but not by rain clouds. Instead, the worst of the black blizzards hit Guymon. As the nation became aware of the dust storms, journalists such as Associated Press staff writer Robert Geiger were in Guymon writing a series of articles. Geiger used the term dust bowl for the first time in print. Within three months, dust bowl was being used throughout the nation. One of Otis and Edith's daughters, Maxine Hansen, remembers those days well. During the dirty 30s when the dust storms were so bad, one day I was after the cows to milk and I saw one dirt storm coming so I ran as fast as I could and got to the house just as it hit because when it hit you could see nothing. It was so black. My grandpa Gross ran a rope to the house and barn and the chicken house and garage, so if him or Grandma were caught out when one hit, they could get a hold of the rope and get to the house. There are lots of days we used a scoop shovel to get it out of the house. 
And when we went to school, we had to help the teacher clean the schoolhouse before school started. If one of the dirt storms hit, we were at school. We stayed until the folks came and got us. The wind blew terrible. Some days it would stop at sundown, but sometimes it blew for a few days before it stopped. And when it blew like that, my mother would bring a pan of water with a washcloth and wash our faces before we got up. We kept our eyes closed until she had them washed. In his April 15th release for the Washington, D.C. Evening Star, Geiger wrote, Three little words, achingly familiar on a Western farmer's tongue, rural life today in the dust bowl of the continent, if it rains. Although many people fled the panhandle during the hard time of the 30s, my grandparents, Otis and Edith Gross, were proud and determined people who worked hard and persevered throughout the dust bowl days and the depression remained in the Oklahoma panhandle. The land they worked so hard to improve is still being farmed today. All four of their daughters married and raised their families in and around the Diamond area, living in the promise of the better days. Elvis and Edith worked so hard to make come true. You happen to know Otis and Edith? Really? That's awesome. I mean, we live in a small world, really. And especially if you go to a small town in Oklahoma, things get real small. Yeah, right. So there's a lot of things we can say about that. We, we heard, she communicated through the use of the rainbow, right? The symbol of the rainbow is a symbol of hope and promise. And color is a flash forward, right? From the past to the, to the, to the present. All kinds of things we can say about that. These kinds of projects are great for a lot of reasons. And when we talked about unit plans, we talked about Bloom's Taxonomy, the creation phase, right? We can have kids recite back facts and, and things, and most of our final in this class, by the way, is going to be this, right? Because that's what we test with multiple choice. But what have we done the most in this class? Hopefully, we've created things, and you had to make decisions and analyze things and evaluate things. If you ask someone to tell you about their life story, that part of the project, I think, is the most challenging. The point and click, here's how you put the pictures in, here's how you put the audio in, we can do all that. Listening, asking a good follow-up question, and, and really just giving your time. It's a gift to give somebody your time. And when you sit down with an older person especially and ask them to tell you about their life, you're not going to get just five minutes. I promise you. And so it's hard. I interviewed a gentleman in my church who's now 90. He was born in 1921. He served in Korea and World War II. He was one of 78 men here in Edmond that were part of the National Guard unit that got activated in 1941, a couple months before an event happened in Pearl Harbor. Of the 78 men, only two are alive today. Warren Lee Peters, and there's one other man in Florida who were alive. I interviewed him and it went four four and a half hours. I had no idea it was going to be that long, okay? So now that's hard for me. I've got to look at that long interview and decide... You know, what am I going to share? Of course, I'd like to share the whole thing, but I'm going to do it in pieces. We not only need to share these stories for our families and our community, we also need to think about telling our story as teachers. And, you know, the tools are here. You can go to Walmart today and get a, a uh, not Olympus, um, hmm, I'm drawing a blank. You can get a recorder, an RCA recorder, for $35. 
that's battery operated will plug USB right into your computer. So the technology part is not the hard part. Um, the challenging part is really the time and making, making the effort to do it. And so the last little thought I'm going to share with you, and we'll do our course evaluations and be done. We are under assault right now in, in education. There's a war that's going on, not just overseas, but there's one happening here. And you've probably heard this statement about maybe Nazi Germany or Hitler, but it's true in American education as well, because for many years now, leaders have told us, and they've said it so many times, some people have started to believe it, that everything that matters in school can be measured on this, and that is a lie. There are so many things we need to learn in school and outside of school that we can't measure on a bubble sheet. Did anybody see this movie, Waiting for Superman? I, this is a compelling movie. I mean, you see that, and who's, who's the name of the Harlem um, principal? Uh, Jeffrey Canada, I think. I've read art interviews with him, too. You know, doing incredible stuff in really hard circumstances. But... I will joke that I found Superman. His name's Lance Ford, and he's in Howe, Oklahoma. He wears a Superman suit to, to workshops at his school, or he did. But that is a joke. There is not a single Superman or Superwoman who's going to save us. The truth is, the educator who continues to teach children is the hero. The person you see in the mirror when you wake up in the morning. The, the teachers right now that you're going to have field experience with and you're going to student teach with, these are the heroes. Because I can promise you, you can be in the best school in the whole community. And if that teacher is not challenging your children, having a relationship with your children, doing a good job as a teacher, you can have a train wreck. We had a train wreck in first grade. If I could go back for not Alexander, but my middle daughter, Sarah, I, I would change things if I could have. I, I wasn't assertive enough to do that. But let's not lose sight of that. Who is going to tell these stories? Who's going to help communicate to legislators and to policymakers about the things that matter? Because there's a lot of things that matter that aren't on the bubble sheet and the test sheet. So think about that in the context of story chasing. We're going to have some workshops this summer, one scheduled for OSU in Stillwater in June. We're doing them in Texas and Kansas now. Um, as people complete the workshop, we invite them to become a trainer and um, to go and, and be leaders, and we, we show people how to do that. So I hope that this will be a project that's going to continue to grow in the years ahead. But whether or not you get involved with Story Chasers, I hope you'll think about how you can preserve history for your own family and you can preserve the voice because once that voice is gone, it's gone. You can't get it back. There's no time like the present. Don't delay. If you don't have a recorder, I am not affiliated with any company selling recorders. I get no kickbacks, but get a, get a recorder and use it to document. If the military would provide things for the soldiers that are overseas to read books to their children, mm -hmm. because then they always have that. You know, there's an app that somebody showed me that was created that way by someone who wanted to read books to their children at night and couldn't. And so they have stories they, they can read and record and share. Those, those are important ideas. Um, and, and if that app gets created, guess what? That could probably benefit other people, too. It wouldn't just be service members. 